You open the letter that James wrote to the early churches. It's actually the very first letter ever written to churches. He starts by saying something that sounds like, don't worry, be happy. And so you read it and you think, actually, that's ridiculous. Why would something like that be in the Bible? But it's, it's there. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And many people misinterpret this to say that in the middle of all our difficulties, we should always grin and bear it. We should always see Raymond sitting in the middle of all of his unpaid bills and all of his difficulties and going, ha ha, happy days. I'm so glad I'm suffering right now. And we put on a, a happy face and smile. But the problem is, that is not what James is saying. He doesn't say, feel it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of many kinds. He uses the word consider. It's a word that comes from the accounting world of the day. And he says, turn your brain on and consider very carefully the benefits that trials bring to those who trust in God. Okay, I'm, I'm going to let you fall asleep right after this. I'll just say it one more time. He says, turn your brain on and add up all the values that come to God's people when they trust in God, even in the midst of their trials. Peter writes about the same thing, and he calls trials griefs, and he calls them painful experiences. So God is not saying to us that you must powder your faith with face with sunshine, put on a happy smile, ignore your problems, and just grin and bear it. That is not at all what he's telling us. He's telling us that trials are going to come our way in life. And if we face those trials, trusting in God, there is a value that comes at the end of those trials. Read this out loud with me, if you would. Consider it the highest joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I call this the joy equation, because somebody put this thought in my brain, I can't remember who, that what James is describing is an equation that our brains need to grasp hold of. And once you grasp hold of that, it helps us to handle the factor that we're going to go through difficulties and trials in life. By the way, in your bulletin, you have a copy of the joy equation there, if you want to just hold that before you. Now, I call it an equation because God is able to take two different things, put them together, and make something wonderful out of them. For example, you take hydrogen and oxygen, two gases, and you put them together, and what do you get? Water. Isn't that amazing? Two gases, you put them together, combine them, and lo and behold, because God is the catalyst who causes this to happen, you have water. He does something even more interesting. He takes sodium and chlorine, two poisons, puts them together, and guess what we have? Salt, table salt. So he's able to take these two poisons, combine them, and they form table salt. What we've just read is called the joy equation, T plus F yields P plus M plus CL equals UJ. Aren't you so happy to know this? Uh-oh, I just lost myself here. Hang on, hang on. Oh, T 
dear me, don't touch your screen when you shouldn't be touching it, Raymond. Hang on, uh, it's gone. Where's the clicker? I had it. Don't go away. Uh, I'll be right back. Yeah, can't find it. All right. Here's how it goes. Trials plus faith yield three things. Perseverance plus maturity plus the crown of life. And the ultimate result of it is ultimate joy. Now, let me explain ultimate in joy. When he says consider it pure joy, as one of our translations, actually the word is considered to be the greatest joy. I file this fact in my mind that joy is the final product of trials responded to trust by trusting in God. Let me give you an example. If you've ever run a long distance race, a marathon race, and you get to the end of it, there's a certain joy that you experience that the spectators don't because they didn't run the race. They didn't sweat, they didn't have pain, and they didn't cross the finishing line. And so you have something inside of you and experience sort of a deep down satisfaction that they don't have because they didn't run the race. If you've ever done a difficult project at work or at home, something you had to work on, it was really hard, and you finally complete it and finish it, it's kind of like, oh, I can't believe that. There's this deep down sense of joy inside of you. I was assigned in the army to go to the deserts of Namibia, southwest Africa. And the first day we arrived, this is, this is a place where Walfus Bay is the name of the place, where the desert comes all the way down to the Atlantic Ocean. And so you've got this beach that goes inland for hundreds of miles. And the first weekend we got there, we found paper, uh, cardboard boxes, we cut them up, and we ran up and down the dunes, and we slid down the dunes, and we ran up the dunes, and we slid down the dunes. And the next day, they made us march out into the desert with a full pack on carrying a rifle with a steel helmet on your head. And they marched us out into the desert. And they kept us out there for several days and then marched us back again. We never again played on the dunes. We, in fact, to this day, I cannot stand the beach. i got to apologize. If you guys want me to come to a beach party, forget it. I cannot stand being on the beach. But here's the interesting thing. When they marched us out into those dunes, I thought, there's no way I'm going to survive. There's no way I'm going to make it through. And I made it through the day. Like, oh. And then another day. Huh. And another day. And there was this deep satisfaction inside of me. They didn't have to send an ambulance for me. They didn't have to carry me out of here. I actually made it. That's the joy that James is speaking about. That when we encounter trials in life, if we connect to God in faith, what comes to us immediately often is that sense of joy, that sense of completion, that sense of, ha, I survived. I made it through well. But it's also describing the fact that there's an ultimate joy waiting for us. It's often said that Christians are too, too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. It's not true. Most of the time is we're too earthly-minded to be any earthly good because we forget the fact that this world is just the manufacturing process of the eternal world to come. And that this world is where we earn our stripes. This world is where we learn to trust in God. And ultimately in the new world, which is gonna be a real world, okay? We're gonna live in real bodies 
on a real planet, in a real world, that is going to be more incredible than this one, more challenging than this one. And in that world, if we have persevered through this life, by trusting in God, even in our difficulties, there's going to be ultimate joy waiting for us. So do you get James's point? He's saying, listen, you're going to go through trouble in life. You've got two choices. You can be miserable and crushed, or you can trust in God, and you can end up victorious at the end of it, no matter what those difficulties might be. Consider it the highest joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, the word trial here just captures all the kind of difficulties we go through in life. Let me tell you, the people he's writing to, here were some of their difficulties they were going through. They were people. They got sick. They got old. They ran into difficulty financially. In fact, we'll find out as we study the book of James, they were destitute financially, many of them. These were people who were Jewish, and as a result, they were persecuted by the pagans around them who hated the Jewish people. And amazing, it's still true today that you still find that anti-Semitism showing up even here in our land. So they were Jewish, and so they were persecuted by the people around them. But the people he's writing to were Jewish Christians. And so they were not only persecuted by the pagans, they were also persecuted by the Jews, who picked on them because they'd become Christians. And so here are ordinary human beings going through the normal troubles of life, dealing with financial destitute. They're going through suffering from being persecuted. And James has described them as being scattered. They had to run for their lives, leaving behind their families, leaving behind their homes. They had to be scattered all over the world, the known world at that point in time. And so he talks to them and he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, actually the word face means to fall. Whenever you fall into trials of many kinds, there are going to be all kinds of difficulties that come your way in life. And he's going, to know, he's going to say to us, understand this. You are going to go through trouble. You are going to face difficulty. When you turn on the TV and you see the televangelist tell you, if you become a Christian, you'll be healthy and wealthy and you'll always be happy, he's lying. He's lying. The Bible tells us that we're going to face trials of many kinds. And the word many is the word from which we get polka dot. <laughs> there are all kinds of little dots, all kinds of troubles that are going to come away in life. And James says, whenever you fall into trials of many kinds, why? He says, because God can now use it. God can be the catalyst. God, if you let him, will step into your life and he will take these things that are poison, these things that are painful, these things that could crush you, and if you let him, he will turn them into things that are extremely beneficial for you. So, trials, I must file this fact in, in mind. I will go through trials. See, one of the problems is we don't like that. We don't consider it ultimate joy when we go through trials. We consider it ultimate misery. The only time we're happy is when we escape trials and difficulties in life. And James is saying, I know, I know, but you're going to face times when you can't escape it, when you're going to go through those difficult times in your life. Peggy Newton was a, uh, a, a writer a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. And she wrote something really interesting once. She said, you know, previous generations, when they went through difficult times, asked God to make their back strong for the task. Our generation asks God to take the problems away. We just want God to be our helicopter parent, hovering over us all the time, making sure we don't get into any trouble, don't difficulties at all. And James is saying, no, you're going to go through trials. You're going to face those times. But what he wants us to learn is to Trust, trust God.
Because sometimes God allows those trials to come away just the way a coach will put his, his athletes through difficult times to strengthen them. There are times when God takes us and allows us to go through difficult times because he wants to prove what we're made of, to test to see how strong we are. And then he wants to improve what we're made of to make us stronger. Guys, can I ask you to circle back this way? Your, your, your chair is up here now. These are our teenagers who help with leading the children's uh, worship time. And so we allow them to come to church late. Because they're not late. They're actually over there helping all the children. You are not allowed to come to church late. Okay, we start at 10 o'clock. Be here on time. All right. So trials are designed by God to prove what we're made of and to improve what we're made of. Peter, in his letter, describes the fact that God uses trials the way an assayer purifies gold. And an assayer purifies gold by exposing it to fire. I think I've probably told you the story, but you're going to have to endure it again. I had a friend who was a general manager of a nationwide gold mine in South Africa. And on one occasion, he invited me to go to watch a gold pour. Nobody gets in there, okay? You go into this place, and you only have to, you're only allowed to go in there if you have special permission to watch them do a gold pour. You go inside an enormous cage, thick, thick bars. This is like a big prison. You go inside, and you're imprisoned in there. And on the catwalks above us were armed guards with rifles. And then what they did is they rolled out this enormous uh, big pot of gold. I mean, enormous pot of gold, molten gold. And then they tipped it. And as they tipped it, they built a, a cascade of ingots all the way down. You know, you've seen how sometimes they'll do that with champagne, and they'll let, let the champagne bubble down. The, they had gold ingots. They had the ingots, the, 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 the receptors there, shaped like a loaf of wolf, a loaf of bread, all the way down. And then they poured the gold, and it started to just this, this, this cascade of molten gold coming down. It was like, ha! Holy moly, look at that. Just this gold pouring down. And they had men off to one side who had long paddles with them. And the guy with me, uh, who was this mine manager, <laughs> actually what happened is the guy on the other side of me at one point turned to me and he said, who are you? <laughs> How did you get in here? It's kind of like, I know him, okay, leave me alone. As the gold was pouring down, just this, this, this waterfall of gold coming down, the guys with the paddles on the side were watching, and a weird thing happened is that as the gold came down, it suddenly turned a luminous yellow. And as soon as it turned luminous yellow, these guys with the paddles put their paddles onto that spot, and then the gold poured down the rest of the way. Once it had cooled enough, they took all the gold ones and threw them back into the furnace. The ones that had turned luminous green they took to one side those of the pure gold or purer than the other. James t Peter tells us that sometimes God takes us through difficult times, not because he's angry with us, not because we've done anything wrong, but simply because he wants to strengthen our grip on him. He wants us to trust him. The book of Hebrews tells us that faith means I believe God exists and I believe he rewards those who seek him. And so when difficulties come our way, when troubles come our way, we have a choice. You can get angry with God, you can turn away from God, you can be bitter and angry, or you can trust God. Listen, we're going to go through the trouble anyway. You may as well trust God so that you benefit from it. And that's what he's saying. Faith means I trust God. That no matter what difficulty is coming my way, I know that God can use it for my good. 
In fact, Chuck Swindoll said it this way. He said, nothing touches your life without God's permission. And everything that touches your life, God can use for your good if you trust him, if you cling and stay close to him. And so trials are designed by God to improve what we've got, and he strengthens us steadily, steadily over time. When we do that, we develop a thing called perseverance. Perseverance is something that enables us to endure. Now watch this. When you take an athlete through a difficult time, it's in order to prepare them so that they'll be stronger the next time, and then stronger the next time, and stronger the next time. That's what God does. When we respond with faith, he then can strengthen us and take us to the next step, and then to the next step. I need to teach you a good word for it. It's called fuss bait. Can you say that to me? Say the V like an F. Say fuss bait. Okay, fuss bait. Now add that to your memory because it's an incredibly important word. When we went out into the desert, as we were marching, the sergeant would sing out Afrikaans, another language, yep, tuya, one, two, and we were supposed to go fuss bait. Yep, tuya, fuss bait. Yen tuya, fuss bait. Yen tuya, fuss bait. And he would keep singing that out. And the weird thing is when you did that, suddenly you got into the rhythm and you found you could walk through the stupid sand. You could walk along. We would do it when we were running as well. Yen tuya, fuss bait. Fuss bait means to bite hold, grip hold, and keep going. We're going to go through tr troubled times in life, all of us. Financial times, health difficulties, relational difficulties. We're going to go through difficult times. And God says, listen, you're going to go through those trials. Therefore, trust me. And if you trust me, you will find that strong, you'll get stronger and stronger and stronger so that when other trials come along, you will be able to persevere through them. And while you're persevering, a little miracle is going to be happening. You're going to mature. You're going to become someone who, he says, becomes more complete, a more rounded person. You become more and more like Jesus. Remember, that's God's goal for our lives. That's our mission as a church, is to help people become more and more like Jesus Christ. And here's the fascinating thing. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become the real you. The more you become like Jesus, the more your weaknesses begin to disappear and your strengths get stronger. And so the more you become like Jesus, the more you become the you God created you to be in the first place. He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's goal, is to lead us to that place where we are psychologically, spiritually, morally mature, just like Jesus. But he's not finished yet. So he not only wants to make us mature, he also wants us to give us a reward. And it's called the crown of life. Now, here's the important thing to understand. The reward for perseverance is an eternal honor in addition to eternal life. This thing called the crown of life is a reward for perseverance. It's an eternal honor in addition to eternal life. Let me ask you the question. How do we gain eternal life? Thank you. That's very helpful. How, <laughs> how do we gain eternal life? What did Jesus say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. How do we gain everlasting life? By obeying laws and by getting religion and by doing good works and earning all this stuff? No, we can't do that. The way we gain eternal life is simply by resigning as God of our own lives and saying to Jesus, I want you to be my God. 
The moment you believe in Jesus, you're given the gift of eternal life. So hang on to that. James says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life is obviously something more than eternal life. There are going to be some believers who don't get the crown of life. Because when troubles came their way, they gave up on God. When troubles came their way, they got angry, they got bitter, they got depressed, they got despairing. Instead of trusting in God and walking with Him, they turned away from God. They can't be given the crown of life. They may make it to heaven with a smoke of hell on them, <laughs> but they won't be given this gift. This is a gift that is reserved for those who consistently through this life keep coming back. Okay, it doesn't mean we're perfect. Okay, we're all going to fall. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to sometimes have faith and then fall away and sometimes have faith and fall away. But if we persist and we walk with Him, God says, I'm going to give you the crown of life. The word crown is Stephanos. It's the word that was used for the victor's crown in, in the Olympics. And remember the Olympic crown that, that's made of, of leaves? They were literally made of leaves that died. But these are the crown, this is the crown of life. It will live forever. If we are faithful in our trust in God, we're going to be given a reward that lasts for eternity. So one of the things James is trying to get us to do is lift your eyes. See the big picture. Don't be focused on all of your difficulties right now. See the big picture. That God wants to give you the crown of life. You think, well, maybe James just made it up. Jesus said this, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Of life it's sort of the biblical equivalent to the Medal of Honor and God says if you faithfully follow me not only will you benefit during this life by enduring your trials growing stronger becoming more mature but if you do I'm also going to make you a Medal of Honor recipient on the other side of the picture and so, James helps us all because we're all going to go through difficult times. Right now, I guarantee that if I were to ask you, what are your difficulties? Most of us would be able to say, right now, here's a problem I'm facing. Here's a trial I'm going through. Here's a, here's a difficulty right now in my life. All of us would have something. And if you don't have anything today, wow, just enjoy the day, okay? Because it's coming tomorrow. <laughs> we will all face trials. And James says, so rather believe in God and trust Him that He never abandons you, and that He will use this difficulty to develop perseverance in you and maturity in you, and He wants to reward you with the crown of life at the end of times. Several years ago, a friend of mine was dying of cancer, and she found an author, a woman author, who helped her during her time uh, of, of struggling with it. The woman's name was Barbara Johnson, and Barbara Johnson, oh, hang on, just to review there again, Barbara Johnson is, is, is the, one of the funniest writers I've ever read. She's got a whole string of books. One of them is uh, Fresh Elastic for Stretched Out Moms, um, is, is the title. Just, so she kept giving me these books to read. Uh, Barbara Johnson was the one who came up with this great saying, brain cells come and go, but fat cells are forever. <laughs> Barbara Johnson's husband was injured in a near-fatal car accident, and as a result, he went through a long period of time of recovery from it. Her first son was killed in Vietnam. 
Her second son was killed by a drunk driver. Her third son walked out of the house and abandoned them as a family. Now here's somebody who's gone through the kind of suffering we recoil from, all of that kind of suffering, and then she got cancer herself. And you read somebody who's going through that kind of difficulty in life and you go, oh my gosh, I can understand if you would become bitter. I could understand if you hate God. I could understand why you would walk away from God, but she didn't. And all the way up until to the time she died, Barbara Johnson continued to walk with Jesus. She wrote this, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. And the Spirit of God said this, I consider our present suffering not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Get the perspective, God says, of the fact that this world is not all there is. And in this world, God is building us, strengthening us, making us more and more like Jesus Christ so that in the world to come, he can reward us. So there's rewards in the middle and at the end of all of that time. So what should I do about this? Whatever trial you're facing right now. Hebrews tells us that we go to God and we go, I know you're there, God. I know that you exist. I know that you love me. And I know that you reward those who seek you. If you've never yet believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I beg you to do it today, okay? There's no ritual at all. There's no magic. There's no uh, uh, stuff we could do to turn into children of God. You simply go to Jesus and say, all right, I need a God. I've been running my own life. I'm not capable of handling everything that's coming my way. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And we close our service today by coming to the Lord's table, which is a place where we publicly make a statement, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. When we serve you the bread in a moment, if you've accepted Christ into your life, take the bread when you get it and eat it, just as a statement, just as I take this bread and eat it, it's a symbol of the fact that I have invited Jesus Christ into my life. If you've not yet done it, I'll give you an opportunity in just a moment. I beg you to do it. Why waste another day of your life? Why go through difficulties? Why go through, through life without having the author of life walking with you? We come to this table. We don't believe the bread changes into anything. It's just bread. And nor does the, the, the juice turn into anything. It's just juice. But it's designed to remind us of the fact of what Jesus did. Jesus is God who took humanity upon himself so that he was fully God and fully man at once. And when they nailed him to that cross, God took your sin and mine and he transferred it legally to Jesus Christ so that Jesus was punished in your place. He died to take the punishment of hell for us. That's how much God loves us. As a parent, you would understand. You would give your life for your children. Well, maybe you'd take the life of some of your children, but normally... <laughs> You would give your life for your children. That's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for us, was buried, and then he rose again. And Jesus says, I can offer you eternal life if you simply accept me. Let me come into your life. And remember this, all the founders of the other religions died and stayed in their graves. He didn't. He came back from the grave in order to offer us resurrection life. And when we come to the communion table, it points back in time and forward in time. We're told in the Bible that when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death, the past, until he comes. And so we remember the past, that he has died, and we remember the future, that he's coming again.
Have you ever been to a, a uh, what, what do they call their dinner the, the night before the wedding? Rehearsal dinner. This is the rehearsal dinner. We come here and we have the rehearsal dinner looking forward to when we're going to eat the real dinner with Christ when he returns. And so this table is open. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, we invite you to come and to join us at this table. We'll serve you in, in your seats. Again, take the bread and eat it right away if you believed in Christ. And then when we serve you the, the cup, hold it and we'll drink it together just as a symbol of we all belong to Christ all together. But the Bible tells us before we come to the table, we should examine ourselves and make sure that we don't treat this as, as something, as a throwaway ritual. It should never be a throwaway ritual. We come to this table, Jesus is our host. Jesus is here. And we come here in remembrance of him. So let's spend just a few moments in prayer preparing to go to the table.